Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're discussing referendums. So the background to this is the recent referendum we had here in the UK on the country's membership of the European Union. The result was 52% leave versus 48% remain in the UK. Um, So Nick, let's start off with this question. Do referendums work? I I think the answer here would depend on what you're trying to achieve, of course. I mean, the referendum we've just had worked in the sense that we had a very high turnout, historically, um, you know, higher than any election for about the last 30 years. And so in that sense, you know, we, we, it was a very good way of, of polling uh, what people actually wanted to do. Um, but there's uh, things that uh, obviously referendums can't do. And one of them, particularly the way that it's set up, is to get people's degree of attachment to the outcome. So, for example, what we can't what we're not going to get out of uh, a referendum, which is simply yes or no, is um, a potential situation where perhaps, you know, 52 percent of people are kind of slightly attached to um, leaving the EU, whereas the other 48 percent are really attached to remaining. Hold Um, on. Sorry. Can I stop you there for a second? Just let's let's just go slightly broader for a moment, because just a a question. I'm not a political scientist. I don't think any of us are. But something that intrigues me is is why would you have a referendum and not um, just go through your your existing legislature? Um, why wouldn't you do that? So why not just go through, in our case, parliamentary democracy? What are, what are what are the what what do people say about that? What's the sort of what do the political theorists say about that? Well, I don't think there's a there, there isn't. It's not as though there's a really clear set of guidelines for what things you should have a referendum about. I mean, in this case, I think a fairly objective summary of the situation would be that um, the uh, Conservative Party in the United Kingdom has been racked by uh, division over the the issue of whether the UK should remain in the in the EU for quite a long time, and I think uh, this this was uh, a bit of a gamble, really, on um, David Cameron's part uh, to to try and settle that issue once and for all. In that, a referendum gives you, if you like, a, a a sort of final view of what the population as a whole wants and that is it's like the last court of appeal isn't it to say well let's ask everyone in the country okay at the moment um the system we have where you delegate an mp who makes decisions on your behalf uh you you know essentially for around about five years um th- that system means that you're always voting on a quite a large basket of issues yeah and and of course you, you're also not in a position really to to change your viewpoint halfway through the term you know you you uh, you're often uh, electing them on the basis of a set of principles that they have and not on you know their attitude to specific bits of legislation which which might might come up during that term so so it's you know it's very imperfect the parliamentary system um you know in, in terms of actually finding out what people want and acting on it uh so so you know but it, but of course it does have its uses it's it's quite efficient it doesn't unlike in switzerland where they have referendums about almost all major bits of legislation mm. here you know the parliamentary system doesn't require that much engagement by people it, it's you know it's it you're, you're getting a benefit in terms of um reduced uh admin um 
but the cost is that you know you get slightly less resolution about what people actually want okay so um before i interrupt you i'm going to come on to you in a moment peter but you were just talking about degrees of attachment and you were talking about there's a potential uh, downside to uh, referendums. So, so I interrupted you. So can you delve into that a bit more? Tell me, t- continue with what you were saying there. Well, we know that there's there's quite a few potential voting systems and, um, you know, every, every country has uh, slightly different systems by and large. So in the UK, we have a first-past-the-post system, which means that effectively all the people who voted for uh, the, anyone who didn't win in a particular constituency, their vote uh, completely disappears. Um, it, you know, it has it has no it has no effect. Uh, contrast that with a um, a system like you know you AV, where you your um, uh, your second preferences might um, might make a difference if your if your first preference guy doesn't get through, or proportional representation, where uh, you effectively add up all the votes in the entire country. And you know, they're all they're all doing different things, and they all have different um, real world advantages and disadvantages um a referendum is no different it's not uh, perfect what you know it will as i said i mean the, the thing it won't give you is a sense of how much people care about uh the thing they're voting for um and it might be possible to design a kind of referendum where people you know say well i'm i'm, I'm a yes but i'm only a one out of ten yes yeah. or i'm a no but i'm a nine out of ten no um the the problem being and it's a general problem with these kinds of issues is how do you encourage people to tell the truth so you know someone who is only a one out of ten but would still rather see that thing happen than not happen would have an incentive to say they're a 10 out of 10 okay i'm just thinking you could build in some or maybe there's some natural obstacles in the way to people voting that you can judge them to be a one to a 10 and maybe we should build assault courses or obstacle courses around polling stations Although I guess that starts to favour the more physically fit. Mind you, in this referendum, that would mean that less old people have been voting. I, I think but there I mean, are the, 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 these. You're actually not. You know, it sounds ludicrous, but you're, what you're suggesting is that we force people to uh, indicate their strength of, of uh, commitment to something yeah. by effectively undertaking a kind of cost. Yeah. And actually, that's it's something we might talk about in a minute. But okay. um, there are there are systems. There are there are you know these revealed preference systems which effectively do do that. Okay, great. So I knew I'd hit on on something genius there, um, Peter. Anything? I've got some specific questions I want to ask, but anything you want to say at this point? Well, I think the referendum is you can you could argue it's quite a blunt instrument for political decisions. It it it. it yeah, the, the way we do them in the UK, they give you a binary decision, either yes or no on mm. a particular topic, um, and they take a long time to organise, take a lot of money to organise. I think the uh, estimates for this referendum um, suggest uh, £142 million pounds were spent just on organisation and running the poll stations and the counts, uh, and that's not including donations um, mm-hmm. to, the, to the Leave campaign and the fifty, uh, the the ten million or so pounds spent by the government of taxpayers' money for the for the Remain campaign. Mm. So there's a lot of money spent. There's on... probably some opportunity costs in there as well when politicians could have been doing other stuff other than campaigning. But um... uh, indeed, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah, very, yeah, much more, much more difficult to quantify stuff. But um, yeah, lo- lots of money. So that's 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 already half a week of the. That's already one week roughly of the uh, EU's um, the contributions to the EU. Um, so it, it's it's an expensive business. Um, I also I also think that referendum is often hijacked by certain political um, personality types for gaining a bit of traction for for 
promoting their own aims over the interests of the country. Okay. I won't name any names because no. we're, we're being deliberately apolitical here. Um, but because um, it's an e- it's an easy trick to it's an easy trick to pull. It's a, it's a very simple message to give to people. It's like I'm going to if you vote for me, if you support me, I will give you the powers to make a decision for yourself, mm-hmm. even if that decision is is meaning is meaningless or not. Um, it, it, so it's sort of a way of in, uh, of making people feel empowered, which mm-hmm. will give them a preference towards you. So and, and that and that sort of it does fly, it does sort of fly in the face of slightly of the delegated authority. We we put we put trust in our MPs mm-hmm. um, to make sound decisions on our behalf. Um, so yeah, the uh, I think a, a, a historical example maybe of of, of um, political uh, of the this, the the ability of this to to gain traction was the referendum party formed on a Eurosceptic agenda mm. uh, by uh, Sir James Goldsmith in 1994 mm-hmm. to fight the 97 election. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's that's a very young party. It was only four, only there four years, but managed to pull in three percent of the vote, nearly um, over 800,000 votes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's quite that's quite successful on that sort of simple. Uh, that, that was their, their main the main part of their manifesto was to 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 um, call a referendum. So on. what's your point? Um, so I think it's my point is that it's easily hijacked and it's a very blunt instrument. So perhaps there are better ways of um, using the parliamentary system, maybe through reform, to 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 have the same effect. Okay. So, but that makes me think though. Um, it's easy to hijack, but it's easy. Part of the reason it's high, easy to hijack is in is in the recent case. It's because you're dealing with big issues and people, the politicians say, this is so important, we must go to the public with this. And so it immediately, by its very nature, by definition, becomes an emotive subject. And so therefore um, vulnerable to being hijacked, as you say. So what about, um, you know, I don't know how it works in Switzerland, but as you're saying, they're famous for, you know, um, doing a referendum, everything. I believe there's a famous case of a half-built bridge, which halfway through they decided they had another referendum following the previous one, saying, actually, we're going to stop building this bridge. I don't know if that's apocryphal or not. But what about if we... I mean, the, the thing about having your um, your parliamentary system or your federal system is that it's a, it's, it's, it's a nice efficient... There's, there's efficiency gains, right? But what about if you could harness technology now and pretty much most houses are, are hooked up to the internet and there are other things that you could do to support those who are not? What about if you had referendum... Um, all the time, every week, on issues, sort of local issues that people care about, whether it's schools, traffic calming measures, etc., etc., and just make that in a simple sort of binary uh, way in which referendums already do. Um, is that really stupid, or is that possible? Um, Nick, tell me. Well, first of all, we need to answer a slightly more fundamental question, which, what is the point of public policy? Mm. Why, do we ha- why do we have governments making laws and stuff and i know it sort of seems it's so obviously a part of life that we rarely stop to ask that question and the the i think the generally accepted answer is that you need these things where there are um where where there are what are referred to as externalities right where Mm. your behavior affects other people in a way that there's no market for you know where you have a where you have a a a market we you know we've got very little legislation about you know how many bananas should be in tesco's because because there's a market for bananas you know people who want more bananas pay more Mm. you know if there aren't enough bananas then then tesco will put the will put the price up and supply more bananas um when it when it comes to uh issues like education policy uh because of the way that we have public education or things like policing and uh 
and uh, national security, um, there, there, there isn't a market. It's hard to imagine how there could be a market there. So we need to set uh, a policy for everyone at once. We've all got to decide how we're going to allocate resources for those things. Mm. Um, and uh, that is the general problem that policy tries to solve. Mm. So now that your question of how do we could we could we come up with an efficient way of uh of doing these things without having these these sort of delegated approaches like mm. like having a having a parliamentary system um there are actually some interesting fundamental limits uh on what you can achieve through getting people to reveal their preference mm. so there's a famous theorem uh called arrow's theorem which which is sometimes referred to as a paradox because it's you know when you when you have a, a large number of issues and when you have a bunch of voters who are voting on those issues there are certain things you you sort of think you'd like to achieve so you'd like to you'd like it to be the case for example that if everyone prefers one option to another that that option would be adopted and um, the group's uh, preferences are going to be expressed in the same way, uh, regardless of whether you add something irrelevant to the mix of potential options and all these fairly straightforward things that you'd like it to do. And uh, Arrow's theorem demonstrates that you can't have a system that will guarantee doing all of those things. Um, so, so there's there's limits on what you can get people to reveal through through these kinds of uh, systems. There are other systems. Um, where you you uh, are effectively tr get, trying to get people to decide how much they would pay for something to happen. Mm. So just to bring this back to the referendum, what if we effectively all bid on whether we stay in the EU? And you know, an optimal sort of outcome might be well. Let's let's say, as actually appears to be the case, that wealthier people would prefer to be in the EU, mm. and um, less wealthy people would prefer to be out of the EU. In theory, if you could get it right, you, you could uh, imagine a system where the wealthy people effectively compensate poor people for staying in the EU, yeah. uh, like a sort of subscription charge. Uh, now, that, that might be a more efficient approach. But again, we come up against another fundamental limit here, which is um, that there is no uh, method of eliciting how much people are willing to pay that will guarantee to be balanced budget. So, so the only and, and so this is fairly fairly convoluted. But the idea being that let's say I want to say how much I care about being in the EU, and I say, well, I'm willing to pay you know two hundred pounds a year to be to be in the EU. Um, how do we make sure that uh, I'm telling the truth? Well, there are systems which make sure that you're telling the truth. But it might be that when you do that, you discover that the whole that the all the preferences as a whole. Uh, add up to an enormous amount of money, and so you can't adequately compensate everyone. So that so there are these theoretical limits on what you can achieve with with uh, even with very sophisticated systems. Okay. So so it, you know in in that sense, we everything will always be a fudge of some sort. Okay, <laughs> that's a good. Well, we need to wrap up. Um, everything will be a fudge of some sort. I like that. Um, okay, before we wrap up, I don't have we have you said everything you want to say on this. Peter, anything, final thing to say? Um, I, I agree with you that maybe there is an opportunity with using technology to devolve more decision-making responsibility to, mm. to people. Um, but I think the, 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 the way um, that you it have, it have to be balanced by um, some degree of rationality and how, how rational are people able to be about these decisions? Because we pay, we pay, we pay politicians and their supporting civil servants to make decisions on our behalf. Yeah. And we try to empower them with information so they can make rational, sound decisions that are in our best interest. Now, 
I was asked to vote last week about the uh, membership of the EU, but I'm not. I don't have nearly as much access to information that would inform my decision as other people. So yeah. I don't believe that I was um, in a sound position to make a rational decision about whether or not it was uh, it was best for best for the country. But I think yeah, the the, the uh, a point I just wanted to raise about the Leaves campaign was that they 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 argued that um, to leave the EU would be to regain sovereignty, to regain power, and arguing with the assumption that sovereignty is a good thing in the first place. Yeah. Um. So that's that's a big assumption. Now I think there are other models of government government where more power is devolved, and I think there there are there are, there are concepts like this uh, subscription based governance where. Um, as Nick describes, you can vote for your preference in various things, and uh, your your preference is revealed either through just how you behave or how you actually uh, what you specify. Um, so there's no the, the the idea of the sovereignty being geographically tied um, is less relevant in the modern day. So we're moving into different issues there. We're moving in question of sub- sovereignty. Um, I mean, one thing I don't think we can cover it here, but I'm interested if these modes of decision making that you're talking about, I. Sub- subscription for example if they're not being used in government anywhere if they are being used in other forms i don't know but um we can come on to that another time but the other thing is um the thing is do we want to be asked these questions all the time i mean that's one of the reasons why we have politicians is we can't be bothered we want to get on with our lives that's how i see it we don't want to be asked questions maybe the swiss love their referenda i don't know um nick just one last thing yeah, just I think this is uh, perhaps an alternative vision for how technology can can do these things, and it, it's looking perhaps a bit further out. Instead of using technology um, to for essentially voting on things, which is kind of replicating a, a it's effectively just a digital replication of the analog system we have already, mm. um, is to solve the fundamental problem about about uh, externalities. And, and there's a very famous theorem called the Coase theorem in economics, which says that if you can allocate um, ownership of everything. Uh, then you no longer effectively need government policy. And so the equivalent would be close to what Peter was sketching out there. Um, you know, you, you effectively s- sign up to policies on an individual basis and you mm-hmm. pay what they cost. So, you know, in future, why couldn't we have a situation where I was in the EU and you weren't? You know, we, we happen to live in the same country, but mm-hmm. I'm in the single market and I can move about, but you can't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the moment, it's, you know, it's really only... Physic, the physical practicalities of doing that that stop us but in future maybe that won't be the case for an increasing number of things if only it weren't for physical practicalities wouldn't, wouldn't it be a wonderful world um i'm reminded just very briefly in 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 judge dread in dread 2000 whatever it's called 82000 right where um every day the citizens get to vote on the weather every day it's sunny and then, and, and then, when someone there's a spy comes along or something like that, and uh, from Sov Sit or whatever it's called, and um, he um, it rains, and so there's all these floods, and everyone's running around the streets going how wonderful it is. Um, zero relevance to this, but um, I what's interesting. So, what I take from this, uh, we'll wrap it up there. But what I'll take from this is 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 that um, is Nick says that everything's a fudge. And Peter says that he's declared himself unfit for to be part of the electorate, which I think is interesting. Um, make of that what you will. So thanks very much, chaps. Um, I'm Fraser McGrew. Um, I've been here with Nick Hare and uh, Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. We'll wrap up there. Thank you very much for listening to us. And until next time, thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.